Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to the Gegen Pressing Podcast. Uh, as you've probably already noticed, my name is not Manu Veit, my name is Stefan Binkowski. Manu is once again traveling, but I am delighted to be joined by the man, the legend, the gig impressing OG, uh, Chris Williams. Chris, how you doing? Stefan, I'm great, thanks. I don't know if I'm much of a legend. Probably more lazy these days, but um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you're. I'm sure you're considered a legend around these parts. Um, I'm glad to have you on the show because last time you were on the show, which was one of the extra pods last week. Um, you know, you would have probably felt a little bit down after that Liverpool result to Real Madrid, but I feel like I've just about peeled you off the ceiling after yesterday's result. This is a Bundesliga podcast, of course it is, but uh, briefly, I'd love to know how you're feeling after that game last night. Yeah, tenuous link to um, Jurgen Klopp, of course. Um, of so course. yeah, um, yeah, real good. It was unbelievable. Liverpool have been horrific for the most part of this season. Um, a lot of questions of the manager, not questions about should he stay or should he go, because I don't think anyone's going to ask that, but questions about has he tactically set up well? Is he too reliant on older players? Is he too loyal? Um, is he going with the right tactics to fit this side? Obviously, they were all blown away yesterday by um, not just beating United, but smashing them 7-0. You know, that's that's for, for anyone who's fully immersed in the German world and and unappreciative of English football it's like the biggest fixture in England and to beat your rival 7-0 is unbelievable and there is no um, there's no downside to that at all I think the only downside there is possibly is that every time Liverpool went and attacked they scored which they haven't been able to do this season it's just a bit frustrating I was chatting to a mate of mine yesterday I said get over all the euphoria I would rather win seven games 1-0 um, but that's just me being a bit pessimistic <laughs> No, I took the game in as well, and it felt like a proper derby. I just loved watching Andy Robertson just rove up and down that wing. It felt to me like nothing had been wrong this whole time. Um, and I spent the whole game thinking, can you imagine if Liverpool just had a team of Andy Robertsons? It'd be unstoppable. Uh, but maybe that's just my national bias coming through. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a great player, and you, your national bias should flood through because he's a wonderful player. Yeah. Okay, well, listen, we'll get back to the Bundesliga. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about, and we will do that right after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from pro and college basketball to UFC, MMA, and more. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Bet online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEF, to receive your rewards. 
betonline.ag, where the game starts. Yeah, so Chris, we usually, as you know, uh, try to kind of go around as many of the houses as we can on this main show uh, every Monday, but it feels to me, and we kind of discussed this before the show, that we had to really kind of narrow in on that big game on Friday night. The Bundesliga finally stuck a decent game on the Friday. We've been we <laughs> on the previous show. We was becoming a bit of a running joke that they kind of put the stinkers on a Friday night because people were at the pub, people aren't watching or something. But all of a sudden, uh, they stick what I felt was a real kind of season-defining match uh, on a Friday night, and. I think it lived up to the billing, to be perfectly honest with you. We're going to try and spend this show kind of really narrowing in on this game because not to say there weren't kind of consequential matches at the weekend, but this felt like a really important one. It deserves a lot of our time. Um, Let's just take it from the top. What were your kind of reactions to the result um, and your overall feelings about the match? Yeah, I thought it was a a great match to watch um, for a neutral um, I think people remember I've got some Borussia Dortmund leanings, um, so it was a great match to watch. Um, if you just took the score in isolation, you'd think it was pretty much a, a, a not a straightforward victory. But you, if you look at when the goals went in, you think, oh, "All right, looks like you know Dortmund had pretty much wrapped that up by the half time." But it's far from that. Um, it was a real interesting game. Um, and one, I think, that underlined Dortmund's credentials this season. I wrote in my footmob column the back end of last month that this month will be defining for Dortmund because mm. sometimes they can get a bit Dortmundsy, And by that, I mean look like they're going to challenge for a title and then drop really important points. Past, past few seasons, it's been places like Mainz or Hoffenheim where you'd expect them to win and they come away with a 1-1 or they've thrown away a lead or you only have to look back to that Werder Bremen game where they're 2-0 up cruising on the 88th minute and they end up losing. That's the sort of problems that Dortmund have had. But over the last 10 games, I think Terzic looks like he's turned it round and I, I, I we could see that in this game in droves, I think. And that's really, really promising if you're a Dortmund fan. Mm. Flip side of that is if you're a Leipzig fan, there's quite a lot to be worried about there. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, it was, I found, it was such a kind of, frust- not frustrating, but a kind of confusing game for me because you do kind of, I've been kind of reading through the kind of stats and underlining numbers this afternoon and... I think it does kind of do a good job. As you said, you know, if you were to look at the result, you look at the fixture, you think, okay, Dortmund kind of stepped up to the mark and kind of did really well there. Um, but I think kind of watching the game itself and looking at the stats, I felt like it was a really interesting match from a Dortmund perspective because, you know, you'd kind of expect Dortmund in these fixtures to kind of go all out, try to take the take the kind of front foot in this match and be like, we're Dortmund, we're playing, you know, the Westfalen Stadion, we're playing in front of the yellow wall. We're the team of the history. We're the team of the prestige. You know, RB Leipzig are just these kind of plastic pretenders, you know. Um, um, this is obviously the Dortmund point of view. This isn't really my perspective, but... Um, <laughs> and I feel like in previous seasons, maybe under previous coaches... Uh, and you could maybe trace this all the back, all the way back, of course, to Jurgen Klopp, whose shadow still kind of hangs over this club. There would have been a kind of expectation to go all out in this game. And the thing that really impressed me the most, actually, was that I actually thought Terzic took a very kind of defensive um, tactical approach to this game. You know, I think um, his team kind of sat back quite well, you know, in the way that they set up. 
was kind of well set up to kind of absorb RB Leipzig's pressure. Um, and they did a good job of kind of doing that and then obviously hitting Leipzig on the break, which they'd done a number of times. Um, and, you know, I think you could really start, you could, you could, you could definitely kind of start, you know, picking apart certain performances or certain moments in the game. And you could definitely say, you know, Leipzig on another day, maybe would have scored here or there and the result would have been a little different. I mean, I predicted a 2-2 draw for this game. And as you can imagine, I was quite bitterly disappointed that it very nearly came to that on a number of occasions. It didn't really happen just from my own personal point of view with my running kind of uh, race with Manu in the preview predictions kind of points, uh, our points tally for the season. But I think on the whole, Dortmund did a good job of playing defensively, exposing Leipzig's kind of main um, faults in that team. Um, and I thought tactically Terzic actually did a really good job of kind of outplaying Marco Rosa. Um, is that, is that the impression you got from it? Or do you think it was just a case of, you know, maybe Leipzig trying to impose themselves on it just didn't work out in the end? Well, I thought it's, it's an interesting point because I think you're quite right. Dortmund were really happy in this game to just give over possession to um, Leipzig at certain parts of the game. And that's not something you necessarily associate with Dortmund being at home. You quite rightly said, you know, that shadow of Jurgen Klopp's Gagan pressing heavy metal football as, as hangs over the club like a millstone pretty much. And that's mm. why coaches after him have tried to come in and, and have done it to relative degrees of success and also degrees of poorness at times. But I think he very cleverly learned from that game um, in September where, you know, they were battered 3-0. Um, and it was like, okay, you have the ball, see what you can do. And because we're very good on the flanks and we'll just tear you apart. Mm. Um, I still think... That Dortmund had a little bit of luck, um, and I say that because Emery Chan scored again from distance, um, <laughs> like he did against Bochum the other week, which was the world's worst goal I've ever seen from 45 yards. Yep. He, he he hits a ball from outside the box, which on another day is easy pickings for any defence. Mm. Um, but that little bit of luck got it through, really set them off. Um, obviously, they had a goal disallowed early as well, which would have hammered their advantage home a lot earlier. Um, but yeah, I thought Terzic was very, very clever. Um, and flip side on that, maybe Marco Rosa tried to be too clever because if you look how Leipzig have played in, in the past throughout this season, they've got some really good results with a different formation. And he sort of went back to one that he'd used a couple of times with varying degrees of success and, and it didn't work out for him here. But you're quite right. At the end, Timo Werner's got a great chance to... Um, you know, draw the game. I think that's around about 95 minutes as well. So mm. it's, a, it's a brilliant block on the line. Um, I think it was by Schlotterbeck, wasn't it, in the end, mm. who cleared it off the line. But um, on another day, that goes in. On another day, of course, I think they hammer home, you know, the chances they had. Uh, I'm, I'm not one for looking at XG in um, isolation, but mm. for this particular game, um, you know, the stats will show you that Leipzig should have scored more goals than they did. Um, so yeah, unfortunate for them on the day, but really good for the title race. Um, but yeah, it's, I think both coaches will be happy. Um, and I think that if anyone's got anything problems to come away with, obviously it'd be Marco Rosa, because I think he just probably tweaked it a little too much for this particular game. Yeah. Do you know, I watched the game and 
I'm, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because you're on the show, but I was I I I, I kept thinking about what you'd said after the. Um, I think it must be the Man City game in the Champions League where you said it felt it felt as though Leipzig had played a little too defensively in the first half. Mm. I think it was you. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was, yeah, you. It was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. That was the other week where yeah. they came out that second half against Manchester City and pretty much blew them away. And if they'd yeah. done that, you know, I'm going to get onto that in a bit. But if they'd done that um, for the first half, but it's a different game and and maybe he's overthought this because it is such a big game for both clubs. Yeah. Um, and maybe he. I wouldn't say the occasion got to him because he's a top-level coach. Obviously, he's coached at Dortmund, he's coached at Gladbach, now at Leipzig, Salzburg. Before he played Champions League, Europa League coaching, and um, he's not played, he's coached in those competitions. So um, maybe the occasion didn't get the better of him. But, hmm. but I, I just feel that he probably tinkered it a bit too much. Yeah, because I, I I was thinking that I was thinking about that that comment during the first half in this game because it certainly it certainly felt to me as though. You know, having just said that Dortmund were happy to give Leipzig the onus in this game, I think the reason that worked in Dortmund's favour is because Leipzig just didn't have anything to offer, really, because Marco Rosa had set his team up so defensively. Uh, you know, I, I kept coming back to like this kind of battle between the two fullbacks. I really feel like this is maybe where the match was won and lost for Leipzig, to be honest, because you know Rosa obviously opts for Halstenberg on the left, who you can maybe argue is a more defensive option. Um, and then he obviously goes for Hendricks on the right, who I think Hendricks certainly has a lot to give when he's going forward, but defensively he's a bit of a liability, and I thought he had a really bad game against Royce and, and Rearson, and you know he just didn't really seem to have any cover from Schobisli either, but it was the Halstenberg one on the left that really thought I thought was quite bizarre, because uh, I just think he doesn't really offer anything going forward. Um, and if you kind of look at Leipzig's XG, which I think... It depends, obviously, which website you use, but I used Mark R Stats um, on Twitter. I think it's very good. I gave him a few shouts out recently, and his his kind of XG timeline, which kind of is a way of basically saying, you know, which how how each team did over the course of ninety minutes and how many chances they created. If you look at half time, Dortmund's kind of running up about a one point zero six XG. Um, Leipzig's maybe about zero point six, zero point five. And, you know, Leipzig then after half time just start going up and up and up. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that obviously happens after, you know, Rosa decides to make a change in the 60th minute with David Ralm coming on. And I thought he actually looked a lot better since he came on. And I don't know, I feel like that was a real opportunity lost for Leipzig in that regard, in the sense that if they started with David Ralm, it really would, it really would have maybe offered Leipzig an outball. Um, which they desperately lacked in the first half. Um, you know, maybe Rosa was expecting Dortmund to kind of go gung ho, to go all gig impressing, as you said. And he thought, well, with someone like Halsenberg back there, you know, I can kind of rely a little bit more. And you know, defensively, obviously, someone like Forsberg, who's now, I would argue, a bit of a water carrier in this Leipzig team. I know he's got a decent shot in him, but I thought he was. I thought he was mostly terrible in this game. And again, he gets the goal. You know, and I guess on paper, people look at the result would think, oh, well, Forsberg must have had a decent game. I thought he was utterly useless in the final third, to be perfectly honest with you. And the goal he scores is basically David Ralm putting on the plate for him about a yard out. Mm. Um, but so, so, you know, I felt like it felt to me as though both teams tried, like you said, it's almost as if Marco Rose has tried to second, maybe not even second guess Dortmund. He's just trying to assume that they'd take the game to Leipzig and they didn't. And it meant Leipzig were all out of ideas. And 
just to kind of finish that point, I think another huge issue here was Christopher Nkunku, who looked anything but fit in this match. Um, you know, I think leading up to the game, I'm not sure how, how much ahead of time it was, but obviously Timo Werner had been ruled out with an illness. And maybe the ideal, I think maybe going into the game, Christopher Nkunku wasn't expected to start. Uh, you know, he comes into a starting position and there were at least two or three opportunities in that first half where he actually found space and time behind the Dortmund backline. And instead of kind of just taking that touch and hitting it away straight away or just hitting the shot with his first touch, he takes a couple of extra touches and he lets people like Sula, Schlotterbeck or whoever else to get in there and stop him. And, you know, and, and you know we're talking about fine margins here, obviously, but that's just kind of the nature of a game of this quality. And it felt to me as though whether it be tactics or even personnel, felt to me that Leipzig just kind of came up short in this game. Yeah, I think Unkunku didn't look 100%. Obviously, he picks up that early yellow card after a quarter of an hour, which can sort of be a little bit of a downer to any player because they've got to play with that on their mind for you know for a good three quarters of the match left. Um, and then obviously him and Schlager have been ruled out of the Champions League game uh, on Monday mm. um, as we record this. So, I think if he wasn't 100%, he's certainly now obviously not 100% because he's going to be out for a few weeks by the look of it. Mm. Um, but yeah, and obviously Timo Werner has, has come back and, and he's done okay at times. Um, maybe he's just struggling for, or Rose is struggling for that right area up front. It's, I was surprised that they went with that bank of four in the middle um, mm. because I think with the players that, Dortmund have got, especially when they play that central three, they can find all the passing lanes that they require out wide, um, whether they have to go back to the two fullbacks to go forward, but they will find those spaces in between the lines and for just to play pretty much a straight four um, or two banks a straight four, I found um, odd. Maybe that was the defensive issues that before you know they could do anything about it. They're two nil down, pretty much, aren't they? Well, they are two nil down by the, by the time they go in at half time. By the time we can chat about it and, and maybe change it a little bit, um, mm. the game's probably out of their reach. But yeah, you're quite right. When Raon comes on, I think it does change quite a bit the way that Leipzig play. Obviously, he's responsible for pretty much the goal, as maybe you said. Wolfsburg's only tapped it in, um, but it was his adventure and his initiative and his forward thinking and his want to try and attack which I think was missing for that first half. I mean, not all um, Leipzig did during that first half was pick up yellow cards. <laughs> so <laughs> there's, there's not really much you can take away from that. Um, it's, it's disappointing for them and maybe just a, a reflection on their season where could have done a lot better if they just started differently. Um, mm. Difficult one for them uh, because at times it's worked for them and obviously times it, it hasn't worked for them. They hit that lovely patch of form round about October, which pretty much took them to, to late January. Um, obviously, bearing in mind the, the winter break, we had no, the break for the World Cup, but mm. I did pick up a good number of points there. Um, and that was with a similar formation, um, but Rosen tweaked it a little bit against Wolfsburg, who you know, hit and miss side, but I thought that it worked really well for them just to play with that holding two, then a bank of three, and then the one in front, which would be silver. Um, and that worked wonders for them in the game against Dortmund earlier on in the season in September when they won 3 0. It was a similar sort of setup then. Just to go back to that more, you know, trusted 
bank of two because it's worked well against maybe some sides where they're looking to to win anyway. So they picked up a rock of goals against Schalke, beat them 6-1, then beat Stuttgart 2-1 with that formation and with that style of play. But they're two very poor sides. They obviously beat Dortmund convincingly, got a good result against Bayern with a certain particular way. And it all comes from those two holding midfielders, which didn't particularly think was a necessity against Dortmund um, and maybe it's come back to bite them. I'd be really interested to see um, maybe not the game against Manchester City but certainly the upcoming game against Gladbach if he reverts back to that 4-2-3-1 which has maybe been a, a little bit better against sides who like to play a bit more football. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting that you, you meant you kind of hone in that midfield thing because it's, it's an issue that has kind of flown under the radar for Leipzig this season, you know, even if you just think about maybe someone like Conrad Leimer in that team, it probably makes a big difference uh, in in this game. And you know, it's interesting because I've spent much of this season, and Manu's obviously the same, kind of praising this Leipzig squad for having a huge amount of depth. But it certainly seems to feels to me like it's beginning to kind of creak at the end, creak at the sides now. Um, in terms of just looking across that pitch, um, you know, it's. It, I mean, I thought Leipzig did really well in the fixture before this going into it, where they beat Freiburg with, uh, not Freiburg, sorry, Frankfurt with um, what was a lot of kind of, shall we say, kind of B team players. Uh, you know, your Poulsen, mm-hmm. your Forsbergs, for example. Um, and I think I, I remember at the time I thought that's quite a good reflection on on Leipzig. I think now it's probably more of a reflection on Frankfurt where they were at that point in time because I think this match maybe did a good job of exposing. Um, just how much a drop off there is for Leipzig if Nkunku's not fit, if David Rahm doesn't start, you know, if they're having to kind of turn for to Forsberg to fill in, um, and like you said, you know, if they are kind of relying on Hidara and Schlager, who I think are barely good players, and they're kind of maybe, I wouldn't go so far as say they're top players. You know, I've always kind of been a little kind of miffed when Hidara does get linked with big moves to the Premier League because I'm not entirely sure if he's shown that, but. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, that that defense is something that did kind of trouble me. To be fairly honest with you, obviously with that Manchester City game coming up, where you know you kind of watch. Obviously, Guardiola's a top class player, but just about every other player in that back four, um, really struggled. I thought Orban actually was particularly poor. To be fairly honest with you, who has done a good job of obviously playing there. He's obviously been a quite a servant for Leipzig going back, and you know, obviously when there's a bit of Obviously, they lost two big players in Upamecano and Kanati, and Orban and Guardiola were able to kind of kind of form a partnership there that has, you know, solved that problem. But gosh, I thought he began to kind of look at look his age in this match. He was out of position for a lot of it. He really struggled against Haller at times. Um, but you know, I, I, there's a few points I want to bring up about Dortmund. But before we do, maybe it'd be worth just kind of wrapping up the Leipzig analysis, but just kind of looking ahead to the kind of games that they've got coming up. So obviously this weekend, they've got Gladbach at home. Then the following week, they obviously have that all-important Champions League tie. Then they play Bochum and Mainz. Then they have that big Pokal game against Dortmund. And, you know, it would be typical of us to kind of weave these narratives that maybe don't exist and to say, you know, everything's make or break. Um, But it does kind of feel to me a wee bit like... Leipzig's season does kind of hang in the th- on by a thread here in the sense that you could maybe argue th- 
maybe not so much they're out of the title race or you know uh, so much the conversation as much as maybe a team like Dortmund or Union are part of it but they've been kind of pushed to the side to a large extent Um, they then come up against a very difficult Champions League tie against Manchester City which could see them get knocked out of Europe and in a few weeks time um, or actually just under a month's time they have to play this Dortmund team again in the Pokal and if they lose that match there's actually very little left for them to play for except for maybe a top four place yeah, you're quite right. I think when we spoke the other week, we spoke, is Frank, is it right time for like a team like Frankfurt to dip out of Europe? Mm. Um, and is it right at this particular point in time for Leipzig to maybe drop out of a competition? And if you're going to choose one, you'd obviously choose the one that you've got the least chance of winning. And I do think that is the Champions League. I don't think they're anywhere near the level that are required to win that competition. Um, great result against Manchester City. I think if the tie was flipped, that's an uh, that's an away result, 1-1, then obviously get back to Red Bull Arena and you've got a real big chance. I think it would probably be too much for them. Um, the Pokal game, you know, it's a quarter-final game. I'm sure they'll want to win that because then you know, you're pretty much staring at a game in Berlin pretty much to, to be able to go and win that trophy. And then if they can win that trophy and finish fourth, I think that's a pretty good season for them. Uh, but they have got a defining few weeks coming up because you would expect them um, to beat Bochum, Mainz, Hertha, Augsburg. You'd think their next big-ish challenge domestically in the Bundesliga at least would come in late April against Leverkusen. And then they've got one maybe less game to, to think about, which would be second to last against Bayern. They're the two testing matches that I think will be on their mind. The rest of the fixtures they've got up to match day 34, they should be winning for a team like Leipzig for the squad they've got. Um, but it's it's one that, for me, what would you rather do? I, I think they have to qualify for the Champions League. For them to get to the... Um, you know, last 16 where they are at the moment is probably about right so I don't think they would I don't think they're, they're, you know, they're, 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 I don't think they're worthy of a round further um, I don't think they've got the ability to go around further if they get there obviously brilliant but I think that's where they would stop it's all about being in the Champions League consistently and mm. I think if they fall out of the Champions League they've got a better chance of qualifying for it next year um, but it, it's really interesting that you've mentioned Orban there and is he getting a little bit older Leipzig have to if they want to become a serious club they have to keep hold of players like Canate and Upamecano because Bayern, Dortmund to an extent they let their players go when they want Leipzig still have this model where they get players in and they sell them for big money and they get players in they sell them for big money and get players in and sell them for big money at some point that's great um but it needs to stop if you want to become serious at running a title challenge because Bayern certainly don't do that. And that's the team that have won it for the last 10 years on the trot. And that's the sort of level that you've got to try and beat year in, year out. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a few questions I think Leipzig have to ask of themselves. Um, but, yeah, it'll all be about getting in the Champions League for them next year. That's where the money is. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I just kind of thought, looking at that back line, that, you know, there's all this talk about Guardiola leaving and I'm kind of led to believe that he's not suspected to leave this summer. It'd probably be next year. But if you were to take Guardiola out of that team in a couple of months' time or that back line in a couple of months' time, that suddenly that team looked very frail at the back because, I mean, I know they have signed a... I think he's even a young Croatian player. Manu would know better than I, but um, who could 
kind of step in and you could argue that, you know, at the time when they sold Canati and Upamecano that there were concerns over who would fit in where and then Guardiola suddenly plopped out of nowhere and I know Leipzig are very good at that but, you know, as you said there, you could, there's only so many times you can rely on that constant conveyor belt of talent to kind of keep paving over the cracks and I think it'd be fine if, you know, it's a solid back four and one player's moving on and our player's stepping in but it looks to me like at the moment that that back line's kind of hanging off of Guardiola because you can even look behind him at the goalkeeping situation where, yeah, Glaski's missing and they've kind of got Blasvich in there, but it's not as if Glaski was really a world beater when he did uh, get moved or when he, when he was sidelined with an injury. So big problems there. And yeah, I guess we just have to kind of see what happens if Leipzig, I guess if I was kind of trying to put a kind of more positive note on it, you could really argue that this was a game in which Leipzig were really dogged by injury, illness, whatever else you want to look at. Um, and, you know, maybe Man City will knock them out of the Champions League next week. But you'd like to think by the time they do play Dortmund again in the Pokal, and Cuckoo will be kind of back fit. Uh, they'd obviously have Limer back. Danny Olmos is expected to come back at some point as well. Um, and Timo Werner would probably be fighting fit by that point as well. So... They do. They are missing big players, so I guess they can kind of excuse this performance to one extent, one extent or another. But one thing I did kind of want to narrow in on, from the Dortmund point of view, um, and this is really to just kind of pull myself up for this because you know Manu and I were kind of we've been kind of treating Terzic's appointment at Dortmund with some sort of not bewilderment, but it's, it's, it, I think when he was appointed, it kind of raised a few eyebrows and there were question marks over whether this Novus head coach knew what he was doing. And I think it's time we really kind of have to give him his due here, you know, in terms of the performance that Dortmund have obviously put on, but also just kind of the way that they have been playing. Um, you know, defensively, they've been very impressive. And I think to kind of go back to the kind of tactical discussion, I'm just so impressed with the way that, you know, it's, it's no, I don't think it's a surprise that Dortmund have managed to kind of really turn things around in terms of results by, you know, if you kind of look at key kind of players in this team who, under previous head coaches, under previous seasons, were very average, very bog-standard squad players. The three ones that stood out to me on Saturday, uh, obviously Emery Chan, who, you know, has kind of managed to re... re, re I don't want to say redefine himself because he's always been this player, but... He's managed to kind of find this new lease of life. Maybe it's down to injury that he's just managed to pull himself back to fitness. He's been maybe nursing injury for the last 12 months or something, but he's suddenly kind of very comfortable playing as that kind of defence midfielder that kind of slots in almost as a third centre-back. Seems to be helping Sula and Schlotterbeck a lot. Marius Wolf suddenly looks like, you know, a right wing-back ready to take on the world. And then, of course, perhaps most notably, there's Julian Brandt, who was cutting about this pitch on Friday, uh, Chris, playing like Zidane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I think Edinter does deserve a lot of credit. Um, obviously, when he came in originally, after Favre was sacked, there, there was a few eyes raised, but um, he did what he needed to do, didn't he? Uh, and they kept him around deliberately just in case Marco Rosa didn't work out, which I thought was very strange. That, that whole appointment the the back end of that season and and the issues of, of po- poaching him from Gladbach and it just didn't work for them and you only have to look at the the managers they've had since Klopp has left and since they've been trying to chase that way of playing Thomas Tuchel I would argue was probably the best they'd had 
um, but they, you know, the, the board couldn't get on with him, so he was he was sent. Bosch came in was a nightmare. Stoger was just I don't know. Still to this day, don't know why Dortmund ever appointed Peter Stoger. Um, <laughs> I, I do well. I do know because they were after Lucien Favre and he wasn't available, so they went with Peter Stoger. But I, that was just such a terrible time for Dortmund. And then Favre came in and, and was a flop pretty much. Um, and then Terzic has come in. He gets the club. You know, he he, he stood on the yellow wall. He's, he's been around all the different stands. He, he gets the club. He gets the city. He gets the ethos. Um, he is a very, very good fit. Um, and obviously, he's a Pokal winner as well. Um, I'm really surprised he wasn't snapped up by a club in the closed window after Marco Rosa came in. But I think Dortmund knew what they were doing. Um, mm. I don't think... Um, Vatska and Zork wanted to let him go because I I still believe they thought even though they'd hired Marco Rosa it was probably a mistake after they'd seen what Edin Terzic could do and now he's had that consistency um, you know he's had 33 matches now he, he's starting to get to know his squad he's starting to get to know the, the way that he likes to play football the way that he wants to set up they're on the best run of form I think for years aren't they at the minute um, 10 wins on the bounce they've broken a couple of opta records um, for Dortmund um, and yeah it's it can't be argued that it's not gone the way they want this season obviously they desperately need a title um, that's why you know they had all the managers before that I've just spoke about is they're on that constant lookout to not buying off their perch um, again which they haven't done for a very long time now but I think Edin Terzic looks like the man who, if they trust in him and they don't sell all his best players every season, or if they do, it's one at a time and they can replace. Um, mm. He'll probably have a, a good go at doing that. Um, I think Dortmund have learned in the past that you you know, you know can't sell your best all the time and you need to keep hold of some. They're very good at only letting Sancho go when they wanted. Um, pretty much the same with Bellingham as well, um, who you would expect to go in the summer. Um It'll be a hole that'll be need to fill. But Dortmund, I don't really think when they've got rid of a player, you've missed them. Um, and when we chatted last time, okay, Erling Haaland's gone, best striker in the world, arguably. Um, but they've just found those goals elsewhere from all around the squad, which I think is more healthier than relying on one person. So, yeah, Edin Terzic, I think he deserves a lot of credit because he's happy to switch it up. He's happy to switch up the way Dortmund play. And that, that's, this is why I'm a big fan of German football, Stefan, because it's not just constant, I play 4-4-2, you know, get it down, flick the ball on, yada, yada, yada. They do, German coaches do tweak their system in order to fit who they're playing. And that's necessarily a good thing sometimes because you want to play to your own team strength. But I think if you've got that tactical now, so that tactical ability and foresight to say, actually, you know, we're going to play Union Berlin and we're going to go with more of a three, five, two flat. But when we play Bayern, we want to go four, three, three attacking. And we can also switch up to four, two, three, one. If we're playing a side, I'm like Hertha and we want to grind out a result. I think that's a good indication that you've got yourself a good coach. Yeah, I think it's really encouraging because, you know, I've often said on this podcast how kind of much I lament the fact that there is a kind of cookie-cutter template to being a Bundesliga head coach sometimes. It's, you know, play the same old gig in pressing football. Everyone runs around like headless chickens at times. And I think that sometimes plays into clubs like Bayern's hands in the sense that, you know, as I've kind of said on the show before, if both teams play gig in pressing football as it's supposed to be played, 
the team of the best team, the be- the team with the best players will end up winning. You know, so it can almost sometimes kind of cement the hierarchy of German football to a large extent. But to have Terzic show um, that you know he can he can kind of play a defensive system against a very good team like Leipzig. Not only does it bode well for this game itself, where they can kind of they, they don't mind kind of letting pr- putting pride to one side, shall we say? And you know, obviously the fans demanding that they kind of take the game or take take um, an attacking approach to the game that would maybe play into Leipzig's hands. I think that really just it, it shows a huge amount of maturity from Terzic. It shows a huge amount of confidence from him as well that he feels that he can do that with the Dortmund team. And to maybe kind of transition now to that Chelsea game at the, in midweek, I think it maybe does a really good job in that regard as well because they go to Stamford Bridge with a very narrow lead. Following on from a game that, despite Chelsea's struggles lately, I thought they actually played quite well in, paradoxically, uh, and perhaps should have scored a couple of goals in that game. I, I think their XG was actually quite high. And, you know, I think Terzic obviously probably thought, right, we have to get through this Leipzig game, win this game, and then we'll see what happens with Chelsea. But maybe he kind of set up this Dortmund team thinking, well, it suits us to play this way against Leipzig in this particular case, but it's probably also a very good tactic to take to Samford Bridge. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, Gregor Kobel had a superb game in this first leg, which is probably why the um, why the, the back line wasn't breached. Um, but I think Dortmund have set themselves up now to, to go to Chelsea, who have been really poor on the whole. I know they um, got a good result on the weekend, but they beat a very, very poor lead side who are fighting relegation. And Chelsea themselves, the 10th, they've lost way too many games. Um, they've had an inability to score. I mean, the last time I watched Chelsea in the Premier League, it looked like 11 individuals out on the pitch. Mm. Um, and that's obviously no good for Graham Potter, but he's had a ton of... He's had a ton of players parachuted into him um, and he's still playing players like Loftus-Cheek, which obviously says to me that these new players he got, he's not been able to gel properly um, as yet. And I think if you look at that first leg, who they had out, they had Jao Felix in the middle and you had Murdoch, who was, I thought he had a terrible game. Um, Havertz has been quiet, Ziyech as well. That, that's a, that's a, uh, a, a quad of players there that, should be banging their goals in left, right and centre and they're not able to do that. And I think Edin Terzic is a very clever coach and he'll obviously watch this Chelsea side with his data analysts and they'll be able to eke out every bit of performance. Um, It's interesting for me because previously when they've come uh, across an English club um, and the the one they played most um, on occasions most recently has been Tottenham and I thought they've been naive in them games in the past where they could have actually got a result um, and they've been unfairly knocked out of Europe um, well, unfairly is probably a harsh word but they, they've been knocked out when they possibly could have won and they probably could have dumped Tottenham out I think for this if they can play it right at Stamford Bridge and they can be tight and they can be compact then they've got themselves a chance the only thing I would say is that they hand over the, the level of possession that they did um, to Leipzig at times, this Chelsea side, even though they've been playing poorly, will punish them. Um, and I think that's because they're slightly better than Leipzig. But um, yeah, it, it's going to be a really interesting match. And you would think, and I, I, what, what you said there was, was really well, is that it's affected the Bundesliga, whereas coaches just want to play this gegenpressing style and go out toe-to-toe. 
Um, and if you haven't got the best players, you're going to get beaten. And that, that's a really good thing to put out. So if they go toe-to-toe with Chelsea, and Chelsea have got returning players coming back from injury, um, and I think they could be in for a long night. But if they play a way to frustrate Chelsea and then hit them on the break or put a good a good state of possession football together and score a good goal built up well, which we all know Dortmund can do, they do create a good chance. If they can do that, they can do that early, then that Stamford Bridge crowd will be wanting blood um, and it'll turn to a very negative arena very quickly, um, which will play into Dortmund's hands. They've got a really good chance here of, um, of the German sides left in. Um, I think they've probably got one of the best chances of going through. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think the only real kind of issue I have with the system that they played against Leipzig was that there was such a drop-off in the second half. Um, not only, I think, because just mentally and psychology and you look you can argue as much as you want you know about the incentive these players have and how much they want to play for the team and how they're willing to run through walls for Terzic but I think there's just some psychological fact and it seems to hit every single player and every league and every team in the world that if you're 2-0 up at halftime it's very 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 hard <laughs> to there's no there's no worse score in football than 2-0 Exactly. It's an old cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. And this Dortmund team just were happy to sit back in that second half and it almost cost them. Um, I think there's a psychological issue to that there, but I think the other issue as well is that when Terzic did turn to the bench, he was actually quite limited in who he could turn to. I thought poor Anthony Modeste just is not the player he once was, or if he is, he just cannot seem to get going at Dortmund. Uh, Mukuku which is a really interesting side story here, is just the completely forgotten man since Sebastian Hallows came back, or finally came into his team, shall we say. And as you said, a better team in Leipzig could have maybe really pushed on and caused a lot of issues there. Um, so I think that's something that Dortmund will have to be aware of, that they, they can put in a very good defensive performance, but they have to kind of make sure they don't drop off, because that's when Leipzig started racking up the, the, the XG, that's when they started getting their chances. As of course, when they got their goal... And when they could have very easily kind of taken a point from this game. Um, and we'll have to kind of see if, Dor- if Chelsea can kind of do that. But yeah, I'm hopeful too. We'll just kind of have to wait and see how they get on. But unless you have anything else to add, Chris, I think we could probably wrap it up there. Yeah, I think I think that's it. It's it's going to be a really interesting game to watch, as all Champions League games are, to be honest. And probably take out Liverpool-Madrid once that game's over. But the, the rest of them... There can be surprises throughout them all. Uh, it's a really interesting second leg, last 16. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And so we'll have uh, our usual reaction pod to the Champions League games on Wednesday night. That'll be going up then straight after the, the second rung of games this week. Uh, and of course, we'll have our bonus show up this week as well to wrap up uh, the numerous questions we got from our subscribers we had over 30 questions from subscribers and we struggled to get through half of them in the first bonus show last week so Manu and I will back to do that uh, this week and then of course the previous show will be back but as you guys may have noticed Chris was on the main show this week we're hoping to have him back on more and more in 2023 so Chris I think I can say on behalf of our listeners it was great to have you back on the main show and I guess we'll catch up with you soon yeah, it's lovely to be back. Thank you. And look forward to speaking to you both again soon. Perfect. Well, yeah, until then, uh, as ever, thanks again for everyone who's listening. If you're a subscriber, thank you very much. And even if you're not a subscriber, please do let us um, like the show, leave a, uh, a rating and a comment as well if you can. We're definitely going to start trying to 
do a shout out to people that do leave um, a nice little description alongside the ratings on Apple Podcasts, whatever you get. Manu and I noticed that we get, it depends on where you are in the world, what kind of uh, reviews you get. So I think in North America, there have been quite a few recent ones have been very nice, but I think the last one we got in Europe was maybe from like six years ago or five years ago, and it was someone saying that this podcast was very good for its coverage of Russian football. So if anyone <laughs> anyone in the UK, Germany, or just wider Europe would like to leave a review that says we actually cover German football pretty well too, I'd really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, we'll give you a shout out on the next show. Uh, but until then, thanks for listening. And yeah, we'll speak to you guys soon. Cheers. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes.